Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be reading from there, and, uh, and then we'll pray, and we will hear uh, what the Lord has to say in his word. Matthew chapter 5, uh, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presenting himself as Messiah. Uh, he has presented himself in, in the wilderness to be tempted and to be tried morally, and as we saw in that passage, he emerged as gold. And now he is presenting his moral teaching and his moral program to his disciples. Uh, Matthew 5, then, Jesus is, is laying out his understanding in relation to the law of Moses, and he is, he is doing something which we'll see in just a few moments, uh, but he's going to turn his attention to the topic of, of murder and, and teach the full extent of the law there. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 says, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you as your people, and we are thankful that you taught your people the standards of God. Uh, it is an intimidating thing to read a passage like this because we come underneath the laser-like eye of the law, and we feel the condemnation. We feel that in part because the Holy Spirit is there, and He is knocking and pressing and urging and saying, that's you, that's you, that's you. But Lord Jesus, uh, to read a passage like this and not fast forward through the gospel and to see you hanging on the cross for sins, taking the, the penalty for those who have broken this law, crying out to your Father, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Lord, to just read this passage in isolation and to feel the, the dread and the condemnation would be a mistake. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took the penalty for our sins upon yourself. You have set us free, as Romans 13 says, to love, and love is the fulfillment or the purpose of your law. And so we pray as we hear these words that we would feel, yes, the condemnation for our sins, that we would see your wonderful work on the cross for us, and then understanding that we've been cleansed, we would strive, as Hebrews says, 
for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to live what you've commanded. Give us power, we pray. May we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, Lord Jesus. You are our righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a a difference between what is and what is right. Uh, Average is not normal. I think I might have said this just a couple weeks ago. Uh, The the average temperature, if you were to to check the logs on a hospital ward, might be 102, right? Um, Because because people uh, enter with all kinds of infections, and that's the first thing that nurses do, right? After they ask you some questions, they put the blood pressure cuff on you, they, they put the little protective plastic cover on the metal probe, and then respect to the nurses, they jam that thing in your mouth and they, uh, they, they, they take your temperature. Uh, some are, are, are quite, quite gentle and kind about it, but others, those are the experiences you remember. Uh, 102, though, is not normal, right? What is, is, is not normal. And so what, what we need to understand many times when we look out at the world and we see the way people are, we might say, well, that's the way that people are. Well, that may very well be, but that is not normal. And it might not be godly. It might not be rising to God's standards. As Jesus is revealing himself, he's been revealed in this book in his pedigree, that he comes in the line of David. He's been revealed as uh, a legitimate child of Joseph, adopted by him into the, into the line of David. He has uh, been demonstrated through prophecy to be the Son of God. And then we've seen him tried and tested in the wilderness. And then we now begin to see Jesus' moral program as he lays it out. This is the, the rules by which he expects his followers to understand God's righteousness and their relationship to God and others. And so he's teaching his understanding of the law. He says that he comes not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He's speaking in terms of fulfillment, yes, of of how he will come living out the law perfectly and go to the cross having perfectly met all of God's righteous demands. And that means that he is the right substitute for sinners. A perfect man standing in the place of imperfect people who have no right to expect anything but judgment from God. But Jesus also is fulfilling the law in that in in the past, as God revealed the law, he revealed it in, in commandments, and people have failed to understand the full extent of them. And so Jesus is is teaching the full extent of the law. This highlights, I think we would agree, his moral purity. Because when when he says, you think that the law means this, and then he says, but it really means this, we then then see that Jesus is even more holy than we can possibly imagine, but it also highlights the alarm at our own depravity, does it not? Because if if we thought we were good, I'm getting ahead of myself, because we we met this standard, and then Jesus says, no, 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 the standard is, is much, much greater, we then understand, whoa, we are more sinful than we thought. Jesus begins with, with the chief, I think we would agree, of sins. He turns to the sin of murder. He says to them, you've heard that it was said to those of old. He's speaking of Moses commanding the people, you shall not murder. 
That is one of the, the big ten. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Genesis 9 says, by whoever man's blood, or whoever sheds man's blood, that man's blood shall be shed. Murder must be controlled. God is the one who gives and takes life. And so for someone to, to take a life in cold blood must be punished if there is to be any order and restraint of evil in the world. The people who are listening, and I believe the people in this room who are listening, would agree with this, that murder is morally wrong. The one who murders, as I've said, sacrifices his right to life or his right to freedom. That's the way that I avoid the whole capital punishment kind of, of blowing up in, in the room this morning. I've, in, I've encountered this quite a bit as I've, I've sought to share the gospel over the years. When I, when I say to someone, hey, these are the demands of God in the life of every single human, they'll say, I'm a good person, comma, it's not like I've ever murdered someone, right? And that becomes the standard, at least the first standard. Murder is wrong. I think that we can all agree. But this is a divine standard, and as human beings, we're not able to say this is the buffet of morality that we're going to choose to obey. Murder is wrong, and then there are no other standards. God says that, that this is wrong. Man may confess that it is the chief of wrongs, but that doesn't make it the only wrong, the only test of goodness or badness. So, so Jesus comes, and now he's, he's going to press forward the, the standard which, which God has for humanity. Jesus is going to now say that three other sinful, that the three other things are sinful. So, so you might say, I've never committed a murder. Does that make me a good person? There are, there are many in the crowd who were listening and they, they would think, I have kept the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is saying, you have not kept them to the full extent which God would hold you to keep them. You are not a perfect person. Murder is a sin, but he lists three others. He says this, verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, uh, the Bible's not written in English. We have the word angry in English. In the word, in, in Greek, there are multiple words for anger, and Jesus uses a particular word here. The one word for anger, thumos, is anger, as the Greeks would say. It's the anger of fire meeting straw, right? This is the kind of anger we see in 1 Samuel 25 when, when David sends a message to Nabal and says, hey, it's sheep shearing day and, and we've, been, uh, we've been working to protect your sheep and your shepherds and we've been protecting your farm. You know, you're, you're sheep shearing, you're, you're, you're celebrating, there's food. Could you send us something to eat? And Nabal says, absolutely not. Who are you? I never asked you to do that. And David is insulted and angry. This is, this is uh, gas thrown onto the fire anger, right? Have you ever done that? I do not recommend this, right? Oh, you know, the fire is really lagging. I'll just throw some gas on it. Kids, this is foolish because, because the fire doesn't just perk up and that's what you're after. It explodes. Boom! That's this kind of, of anger here. David tells his men, he says, everybody strap on your sword. 
And I can, you can just see it, right? Guys putting belts on and helmets on and shields on, and they're getting on their, their uh, I, I want to say vehicles, not vehicles. They're getting on their horses, and they're, they're headed into town. And Abigail intercepts David, you'll remember. And she brings a, a gift of food to him and says, David, here, I heard that you sent a messenger, and, and, and Nabal said, said, no, he's not going to send you anything. But I came to intercept you because, listen, Everybody knows you're going to be king, and when you're king on the throne, you do not want to think of this day and think that you've got guilt on your account. And David's anger settles because somebody interrupted him. That's not the kind of anger Jesus is talking about here. He's using a different word. The Bible says that we are to be angry but not to sin. Okay? Anger is a feeling, and it's a, it's a forceful, powerful, emotional reaction to something that we feel should not be. I, I reject that. I look at, I look at uh, pictures of, of a, a, perhaps a government oppressing someone, or, or of a child starving, or I, I, I hear of a situation that, that just feels wrong, and I say, that's not right. And you know what? God feels that way. The Bible says that he is angry with wickedness all day long. And so the emotion is not a sin. We were created with it so that we could reject wrong. Something in us will, will well up. The Holy Spirit is, is in us, though, and so we have the ability as believers, if we've trusted in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, to hold back our anger. We need to master anger quickly and make sure that it doesn't roll over into sinful behavior. And so in humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit, knowing God's word, we're to take charge of our emotions so that they don't run away into actions that we don't regret. Look at what happens in the Bible, right? We see uh, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin by defying the commandments of God, and, and they are driven from the garden. And the very next account in the Bible is an account of anger and what does God do when Cain, who is rejected, bringing his, his gift to the altar, Cain is rejected, he begins to struggle emotionally with this rejection, and he is angry. And the Lord confronts him and says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Won't I accept your offering if you bring it rightly? And then he says, but sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Imagine if, if you, were, you were heading out of your house this morning and, and right, before you had a, right before you went out the front door, you got a text from me and I said, there is a bear. Not like sitting on your front lawn going through your garbage, but waiting and you're going to open the door and he's going to grab you. That's what God says sin is doing. Sin is waiting. It's, it's crouching at the door. It desires you, but you must, must master it. It wants to eat you alive. But you need to be ready. You got your armor on, Christian, because anger's coming. You better attack that thing and eat it for supper. Right? Mastery. Cain's problem is not the flash of anger. The, the natural reaction to what he did not expect. He brought fruit from the ground, 
which God had cursed. And Cain brought uh, his, his flocks, and Cain brought them in faith, and Cain, uh, Abel brought them in faith, and Cain brought them like, eh, whatever, God says make a sacrifice. And so God rejects Cain's offering. God says, do the right thing. And Cain, Cain having his offering rejected, is like, ugh, that's all right. Now do what's right. Now that you've been confronted, repent. No, Cain lets the fire of his anger burn low, but he keeps on feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. And we see in Genesis 4 that when he's out in the field with his brother, he rises up and murders him. Now, the person hearing Jesus say, you shall not murder, whoever murders will be liable to judgment, might say, yeah, that's right. And then he says, and whoever is angry with his brother, think Cain and Abel, right? will be liable to judgment because that's where anger goes. Uncontrolled, burning, smoldering anger leads to sin. This is the second kind of anger. The Greek word, I'm just going to say it because it's fun to say, is orgizethstai. The anger that, that will not forget. The anger that refuses to be pacified. The anger that seeks revenge. That, that broods. That's a word that's fallen on hard times, right? I know this because I actually typed broods in and it came up on Google. And Google's got this chart that they, they look at books and, and, and the chart goes like this. Like brooding was a word that was really popular in the 1950s. And now it's, it's like it's fallen out of use in books. But hey, guess what? It's coming back. The chart, the chart is kind of ticking up at the end around 2005. Brooding is, is the kind of anger that takes a situation or offense and worries over it. Frets, agonizes, mopes, sulks. These are all words that are right there in the definition, right? It, it thinks, it overthinks, it meditates, it contemplates its offense. Here's the word that I love, it ruminates. That's a ruminate, right? We, we live out in the country, right? We, we, we know what rumination is. No, we don't. There's, we live in chicken land, right? Cows, <laughs> cows, cows eat grass. Now think, this is going to get gross. So if you don't want your kids to repeat this and they're in the room, you know, put their hand over their, their, their ears, but it won't be that gross, right? What cows do is they chew grass and they send it down to the first stomach, the first of, of four, and then when they're out in the field and they're like, man, there's no grass out here to eat, you know what I think I'll do? I'll chew the grass that I already chewed. And their esophagus brings grass back up into their mouth and they chew it again. Imagine, this is what... what Jesus is saying we do when we're angry as we, we bring it back up. Imagine chewing on your own vomit. That's the anger that ruminates. It refuses to be pacified. It refuses to let go. It treasures its offense like a clam. What does a clam do with a grain of sand? It coats it and coats it and coats it so it ceases to be irritating and it turns into a pearl. And I don't know, if you've had much interaction with clams, you know, they don't want to give them up. You have to kill them. I made a little... <laughs> not like they're going to kill you like a bear, but that's how you get it out, right? You, we're, we're used to the cartoon where they like open their mouth and they're like, come get my pearl. It doesn't work that way, right? They, they cut them open and looking for them. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I made a little chicken out of clay for my grandma once a long time ago. Uh, I was at her house and uh, she had 
somebody had gotten me this package of clay and there on the cover was this little chicken and I, I duplicated it. I made it just like it. And when, uh, when they cleaned out her house after she passed away, my mom gave me this little chicken and there was that chicken still doing exactly what I had designed it to do. It was sitting on its eggs, waiting for them to hatch. That's an image of what we're like when we refuse to deal with anger. We're sitting, nursing the hurt, caring for the eggs, waiting for them to hatch. Jesus says, if you don't shut down anger, you are liable to judgment. Because, because anger is a sin that says, I am just, I am, I am, I am waiting, 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 waiting. And then it blows up. Murder is wrong, Jesus says, and anger that will not die is wrong too. Murder is visible and external and can be seen. Anger that may be anger anger might be hidden. It might be secret and internal and it is wicked as well, he says. Worthy of judgment in a court of law. Also wrong, he goes on to say, is anger in speech to insult your brother and call him names. Look at verse 22 again. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Right? The, the liable to judgment means that, that you can be punished, but there is a supreme court in the land, the council, the Sanhedrin, the 70. These are the people who ultimately decide to put Jesus to death. And so this is a harsher sin. To insult your brother is to call him names. To be, to be harsh with language, to weigh down and burden with words. This is, this is an anger that doesn't rise to the level of murder, but neither is it, is it hidden and secret anymore. Anger is behind it. Anger results in angry words, insults. They're like arrows. I used to think like, that the cool characters in movies were the guys with like, the axes and the swords right? And then the arrow guys are just like the guys who were so weak and, and, and lame that they had to stand at a distance and like take shots. But if you've seen footage uh, or seen actual arrows or seen archers and you hear those arrows hit, they're fearsome. There's, there's footage in, in movies of, of medieval or Roman combat and you see the rain of arrows flying down. They are terrifying. Now, you might not be able to shoot an arrow and hit a bullseye, right? The guys in the Olympics, they've got these bows now, they've got counterweights on them, they, they've got all this technique, and they're, they're ultra careful, and they're shooting with extreme accuracy. If you, if you were to say, like, hey, Keith, I'm, I'm pretty good with a bow and arrow, I wouldn't let you shoot an arrow, I mean, an, an apple off my head, no matter how good you say you are. But I'll tell you what, when you're angry, We're all like this, aren't we? We are deadly accurate with our words. Deadly. And those words, unlike an arrow which, which hits and leaves a wound that can heal, we can go get that arrow and we can take it back and put it away. Words can't be retrieved, can they? They, they come out in a flash and they do their damage and that damage keeps on going sometimes for years after they leave our lips. 
For this reason, Jesus says that allowing anger to let loose in harmful words is worthy of judgment for the council. It is a greater sin. For this reason, Paul, continuing Jesus' work of teaching the church how to live, he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk, right? What is corrupting? Corrupting is rotten. Words that, that, that cause something to become putrid. Don't let that come out of your mouth. Instead, only words that are good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Paul says what Jesus teaches, that to love God and to love others is to fulfill the law. God made man's mouth to what? To praise him and to bless others. And to use it to tear down and to destroy is wickedness. Also wrong, Jesus says, is to call someone a fool. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now this is not to point out to someone that an action is foolish, okay? If you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I can't ever say anything in frustration. No, you can. I think it's a good tack, though, in your life never to tell someone you're stupid. Instead, say, this is foolish. This behavior doesn't make sense. I don't like this. Because we're not rejecting the whole person often when we're angry, right? We're just, we're upset about something they said or did, right? Your, your spouse is not the worst cook who ever lived. And I use this example because my wife is probably one of the best cooks who ever lived. Uh, I can recall one meal, I think in 20 years of marriage, that didn't quite go so well. I don't know if you can remember. Yeah, she's like, I'm over it. Because I'm always like, I'm always like, listen, I'm the best eater in the house. I'm, I'm the least complainer in the house. So, you know, I, 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 I'm, I get some credit here. But to say, look, you stink at this, right? Instead of saying, hey, you didn't quite get it here, right? You know, didn't, you didn't quite, it, yeah, hey, let's work on that next time. To say to someone, you're a failure, and instead to say, so what, you failed, is a, it was worlds apart. Dramatically different. It's not to, to say to someone that, that this is a foolish action, because that can be the greatest act of love, can it? Isn't it hard to tell people that you love that what they're about to do is incredibly dumb? Sometimes it can be hard. Hey, listen, I love you the way that you're treating your child or your spouse or this decision that you're going to make. I just, I think like, eh. One of, the, one of the greatest offenses, I think, in a shallow, angry, self-focused, selfie culture is to say, I don't like this thing that you did or your feelings are invalid. Our feelings are, are, are the most inerrant experience that we have in America, according to our culture. And so to say, hey, I think you're wrong here, will get you unfriended in a heartbeat. And I don't mean like on Facebook, right? You know, this is, this is an act of war sometimes, but it can be the greatest act of love. No, what Jesus is saying when you say, you fool, I'll point because I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, um, is, to, is, is not just to insult. We know that Jesus is smart. He just said that. It's the tearing down of the name of the individual. 
It's, it's the me and my crew are standing here and I'm saying, hey, you, fool. Right? The, 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 the Greek word uh, which is used here um, is, is uh, a connection to the Hebrew word raka, which is just a, an insulting name. Someone would say, that guy's a fool. In the book of Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This is a, a morally corrupt person who does abominable deeds. This is not a guy with a jester hat who does dumb things to make people laugh, who has no sense, right? That's, that's a medieval image of a fool. A fool in the Bible is someone who lives as if, doesn't, as if God doesn't exist. They have a morally bankrupt life. And so to call someone a fool is to say that they are morally failing to murder their reputation, to destroy them in the eyes of others. Some people do this for fun, don't they? Some people take great joy. It makes them feel good about themselves to tear others down. Some people do this out of deep hatred, right? They have sat on their eggs for years, waiting for them to hatch, and when they see their opportunity, they're like, now it is time to destroy this person's reputation. Some people do this out of insecurity, don't they? No one can be any good. Because if anybody is good, it makes them feel horrible about themselves, so they need to tear everything down. No matter why, they do it. Jesus says that to do this is to be guilty of the fires of hell. To murder someone with words while they are still alive is wicked. To destroy the reputation with gossip is wickedness on par with murder. So Jesus lays out the standard for us. And he says, hey folks, this is it. It's not just murder. Anger too. And the expressions of anger. And we folks are an angry people. The American people are an angry people. We live in the day and age of feelings. And we feel that we should be able to express them any way that we want. We can insult and gossip to our heart's content. We can post things on Facebook in such a way that, that people will say, is that person talking about me? What are they talking about? We can, we can speak in private. We can text one another, even while we're sitting at the table or in a room with someone, and we can say, look at that guy. What a fool. Jesus is no murder for those who love and honor God. And we agree. And then he takes it a step further. No unresolved anger. No malicious words. No destruction of the reputation of another, Jesus says. And we cringe internally and we justify ourselves. And we think of exceptions. It is, it is true to say that this is scripture and this is the word of the Lord. But these are the very words of Jesus, right? Condemning this action. I think that instead of thinking of exceptions, we ought to marvel at the amazing purity and understanding of the Lord Jesus. And to say, he lived that way. That is amazing. 
Because, because, you know, I don't set out to ever fulfill any of these things and to live any of these sins, but they seep in through the cracks. Right? Like, I've, I've not yet, yet figured out how to, how to seal myself off in such a way that, that, that the emotions that are, are raging within at times don't erupt or overflow. And yet Jesus had complete and utter control. The Son of God, morally pure and living in the power of the Spirit. We ought to marvel at this because of the demand. We should heed it because of its truth and authority. And when we confront our own failure, we should despair. Because who can raise their hand and say, I have never done this? So with two examples, Jesus is going to prescribe the antidote for us when we commit these offenses in our relationships. First, he says, don't fool yourself into thinking you can be at peace with God when you're at war with others. Verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In the Old Testament, those who sinned brought offerings to the temple and they presented them to the priest. They're they're saying when they bring that sacrifice, they're saying, I have sinned and I've done wrong and I offer this perfect pure animal as a sacrifice in my place. As its blood is shed, the sin is punished. The sin debt which I owe to God is paid and I walk away clean. But the sin had to be in the past. It cannot be ongoing. And so Jesus says, there you are standing at the rail about to hand the animal over to the priest and you remember that your brother has something against you or you've got something against him. You remember that there's a conflict. You're to be like, ah, ah, wait, 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 wait. You know, I know the line is long. Just here, hold this, and I'll be right back. Right? And all the other uh, people at the temple are like, Wow, God, is he doing? You know, get that. Uh, uh. Hold on, hold on. And then go make peace with the one that you've wronged and come back. With the one that they're angry with. With the one they've destroyed with words. They go back and they repent. That they've destroyed the reputation of, of another or that they have injured them. 1 John 4 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus is saying that the ultimate test of whether we love God is what are we willing to do in our human relationships? Jesus says, by this the world will know that you are my disciples. What is it? Amazing, powerful worship music, hands lifted in the air, missionaries spreading across the globe. No, that you have love for one another. Wow. The world can can look back and with Jesus' permission can say, yep, I judge them. He is not in the building. It is the followers of God. Not who never get angry. Not who are perfect, but when they see it, they repent and they attempt to make it right. You want to murder? You feel so angry you want to murder? Paul gives us permission. This is what he says. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, right? God's standards, not my own. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And then he says this, put to death then what is earthly in you. And he includes in that first list, evil desire. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, he says. In these two, you once walked, right? But no longer as a follower of Jesus. But now you must put them all away, Paul says. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Maybe right now you're thinking, yeah, I need to do this. I hope the application doesn't go much longer. Let's pray. Final song. Sing. Go. Listen, if you know that you need to do this, you already know. The Holy Spirit may have been gently tapping for a long time, saying, you've got to go talk to this person. You've got to go make this right. And right now it's like, and you're like, let's sing and get out of here. Isn't it time? It's Communion Sunday, folks, and we always go a little bit longer. Anyway, um, what we're to do is to say yes to the Spirit, because aren't God's mercies ever new? Isn't the amazing purity of Jesus Christ such that, that when we say, oh, I'm failing again, that, that we are cleansed again and again and again and again? The Spirit urges repentance. And he urges us to hate and to forsake the sin of hating and forsaking others. Hating and forsaking his own way. As humans, we've been conditioned to think that the one who puts down his weapons and waves the white flag and says, let's make peace, that's the weakling. Not from Jesus' perspective. And so, Jesus says, when these things happen, do right. Make it right. Don't just let it drift down the lazy river. Don't let it boil. Take the pot off of the heat. Deal with the anger. And then he says, secondly, be quick about it. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. When you're wrong, you're wrong, right? A lot of times, the onlookers to the conflict know that we're wrong long before we do. And they're like, eh, stop, 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 you know, like, let it go. Ugh, you know, everybody knows who the angry people in the office are, right? The ones who are always fighting, and they're like, you're like, and then they said this, right? And you're like, uh, they're, they're, they're sitting there thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, and they're thinking, if, if, if you could just get along with people, everything would be great. So, so do it quickly, right? When someone says, you know what, I think this, and they're, they're telling you subtly that you might be wrong, they're telling you that they're wrong, right? They're just being polite about it. They don't want you to be angry at them. Under Roman law, apparently you could arrest someone and drag them to court for certain offenses, right? You would, you would find Keith Meyer and you would say, hey, I've got something against you, and you would grab them like this. So they couldn't get away. And as long as you didn't put your hands anywhere else, apparently you were all right. And then you just kind of haul them off to a judge. This is what Keith did. Keith, Keith needs to be judged. And, and so Jesus says, when somebody comes to you like that and starts pulling you to court, make peace right then and there. Why? Because you can still make peace right then and there, right? But when judgment comes... It's been resolved by 
the judge. Jesus' advice to the people is their cultural wisdom of the day. If you're being dragged and you can make it right, make it right before the real punishment starts. The followers of Jesus obey the words of Jesus. He will say in the next few chapters, when someone has sinned against you or you sin against someone, go directly to that person and share the offense. And that's what the followers of Jesus do. They don't, they don't share the prayer request with their small group. They don't put it in the offering plate. They don't, they don't tell nine people in the office. They go right to them and share the offense or apologize. Or they forget about it. There is no third option. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. This, by the way, is great marriage advice, folks. Sweep it under the rug. But you're like, oh, there's something under, you know, there'll be a big pile under the rug. No, there's a hole under the rug. It's called grace, and you just sweep stuff in there because you know what? Your spouse is sweeping stuff in there too. Grace will erase it. Deal with the big stuff. Forget all the small stuff. The followers of Jesus heal disputes immediately. They express their love for God and their understanding of their own need and grace by heeding his words. The writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive. I think sweat and like running and pain when I think that. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Immediate and wise action can heal wounds and a relationship that could or would otherwise be lost. Delay, Jesus is saying here. When, when you are arrested, heal things now. Heal them quickly because it will be too late. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, I got to finish. What should our response to anger be when we see it in ourselves? We should acknowledge Jesus' standard. Yes, Lord, you are right. This is wrong. This is how it should be. Second, we should despair of our own righteousness. We should say, you are right. Yes, I am guilty. That's what Isaiah did, right? When, when he saw the Lord, he saw the purity of God in the temple, and he immediately confessed his sin. The Lord's character should cut us to the soul and cause us to green, grieve our own sinfulness. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Not, hey, people, stop it. And the people were like, oh, no, we shouldn't be killing this guy, right? They, they, they knew what they were doing, but they thought that it was right when it was wrong. Jesus' prayer to God is forgive them. They are ignorant and sinful. We ought to say, Lord, my wiring is wrong. I think that further anger is justified. And I know that you're telling me it's not, and so I repent. Fourth, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your righteousness. We sin in action. We sometimes sin in our repentance, don't we? We're just like, I don't feel like being judged, so I'm going to repent now. It's not that we're, we're actually sorry for our sins. We're just trying to avoid judgment. No, just, just, oh, Lord, nothing I can do will make me right. I thank you for your sacrifice for me. We try to earn grace sometimes with our I'm sorry. Grace is only grace when we're not earning it. 
but receiving it as it is freely offered by the Lord. What does Matthew say? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Lord, my sins are greater than I can deal with. Would you save me? What is the answer to that question, to that, to that prayer every single time? Yes. Yes, he will. Fifth, pray that you may not enter into the temptation to anger. Pray the Lord would deliver you from the snare of anger. I think it's good to pray before you've even been in temptation, right? Lord, today, many things will happen. Some of them might make me angry. Deliver me. Protect me. Give me wisdom. Then finally, strive in his grace, not to earn grace, but because of his grace. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Hebrews says, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 14, 18, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's actually Hebrews. John, 1 John 3, 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Maybe you're here and you're like, anger's not my problem, it's X. Trust in the Lord and in his grace before judgment comes and do so today. You will find a friend who will cleanse you and continue to purify you and never abandon you. Maybe you're feeling conviction because of of anger or sins related to anger. Don't be too ashamed to repent and to look weak. It is strength to God. Maybe you've got business that you need to do with someone or you want some accountability in making your relationship right or you need some assistance. Maybe you just want prayer in dealing with anger. We're going to close and sing a song. Feel free to come forward and pray. And now here's the cover statement because you're like, I don't want everybody to think I'm an angry person. Maybe you just want someone to pray for you, right? And hey, all you out there, like, don't be like, oh, no, he's angry. She's angry. (laughs) Now no one knows why you're coming forward. I've created confusion. There you go. Anger will find its way into our lives as long as we walk the earth and interact with people. But smoldering, bitter anger has no place in the life of a Christian. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we are closing our worship service with this final song. But Lord, the worship in some sense begins right now as we respond to your word. There are some here this morning who are feeling conviction. And there are some who have been hurt by the anger of others. And we need to draw a line and to step over it and say, I am.